0: Are women systemically oppressed by the tyrannical patriarchy? Do men really make more money than women? And we are going to discuss the three levels of abstraction and the importance of multivariable analysis. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to the Lucas Scrobot show where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Thank you so much for being with us today here on the show. Today we're actually fielding a question from the mailbag, from the audience, from a viewer like you. And this is such a great, in-depth, juicy question that we're actually gonna take three episodes, the next three episodes, to unpack and answer this question. And what I really loved about this question, it actually is like the perfect tee-up to a point that I have been wanting to make and actually been building towards in this series on justice and social justice. But before we get into the question, I want to get into my book, Anchored, The Discipline to Stop Drifting. In this book, I when I was writing this book, I was drifting in my life. I, I found that I was actually not committed. And I had these beliefs that I had to be radical. I'd always have to be looking for the next thing. But as I began to write the principles in this book, I realized that commitment is the most radical thing that we can do with our life. That commitment is the thing that opens up all the paths for success. I see so many people who keep all the back doors and side doors open, plan A, B, C, D, E, that they never put enough time, effort, energy, and commitment into plan A, the, the thing that they were meant to do. So they're always bouncing from one thing to the next and never fulfilling their destiny, never reaching their goals, never building a legacy that can be passed on for generation to generation to generation. Commitment is the foundation to greatness. It is the foundation to build anything, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our fitness goals or our business, we must first and foremost commit. So commit to reading my book. The link is in the show notes. It's a short 100-page book, highly actionable to help focus and anchor your life so that you can reach your goals and fulfill your destiny. Now, back to the show. As I said Today, we're fielding a question from actually one of my dear friends, Aaron. Aaron and I go back probably from 2005, 2006, and before I read his question, I first want to say I have the utmost respect for Aaron. I can attest to his character, his his humility, his servant-heartedness, um, his kindness. He is just one of the most amazing people that I have ever had the 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 pleasure of growing a friendship with and spending a considerable amount of time with. Now, Aaron and I don't talk every week or every month or maybe even every year, but I definitely consider Aaron uh, someone who is a dear friend of mine. And as I said, the utmost respect and the utmost appreciation for him um, and his, his, uh, his character. So here is Aaron's Question: Hey, Luke, I am a relatively new listener, but an old friend, very old friend. And I've been really fascinated with some of your episodes, especially when you dig into world history and connecting its patterns with current news. Thanks, Aaron. I love doing that too. It's some of my favorite things that I do here on the show. I had some thoughts come up as I was listening to episode 160 on social justice that I think could and should be addressed. I think that the many conclusions you drew are weak because of the examples and analogies that you gave were grossly oversimplified. I say this even though I agreed with some of your conclusions. It seems that you conclude that there are not unjust systemic structures which do hold entire groups of people back. I would reason that some of these issues should be addressed in a public or government matter in large part because the system was created by, or at least enabled by, a government in the first place. Historically and scientifically recognized systemic issues like gender pay gap, Jim Crow laws, and the effects still seen today in the USA— And a healthcare system in the USA, which puts people in crippling debt overnight, no matter how hard they work, are just a few examples. There are incredible disparities that come about as a result of systems which have been put in place by ideologies and government. And your conclusions did not leave any room for them. Another point I want to bring up is that at the end of the episode, you talked about Governments should not be in charge in helping people experiencing hardship, but rather this responsibility should fall to the church, religion. I agree with this. However, we have seen historically the church also act, religion also act as the oppressor when it has enough power. The church acts as its own form of controlling government and often Has been responsible for enacting the same totalitarian evils as secular governments. I recognize that I may have simply misunderstood some of the things that you were saying, but the rest of your listeners may have misunderstood the same thing. So I figured I'd send a quick note. Thanks for what you're doing with this podcast, big ups. Aaron, thank you so much for this question. I there's so many parts to this question that I love. First, we're gonna we're gonna start today. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing three levels of of abstraction and we're going to be addressing specifically the gender pay gap. So the first point that I want to address in his question was the gross oversimplification of the examples and analogies that I gave in episode 160. A hundred percent, Aaron, you're right. They were grossly oversimplified, but I grossly oversimplified them for a reason. Why? This is why. There are three levels of abstraction when we view and think and talk about the world. The first level of of abstraction is object, is the objective realm. That's like saying this pencil or this knife, is it morally good or morally bad? That's when we're actually dealing with objects and things and situations in the natural realm with the the most amount of detail and nuance. So, as Aaron said, the, the examples I gave were grossly oversimplified, and that is because I wanted to give, in the objective realm, a very simple level of abstraction, a very simple way that we can begin to view some of these higher levels of abstractions. The first one is the objective realm, which is saying... Is this pencil or is this knife or is this gun good or bad? Well the thing is an object can't be good or bad. It is the person acting with a level of morality or immorality that we need to examine. And so I at times where people will give these like absurd scenarios trying to pin me into a corner. They'll ask me questions about Pornography, and they'll ask me questions about prostitution and and all these issues, but they're doing so in a way with all these levels of complication to try to convolute the conversation. This is not what Aaron is doing, but other people have done this to me. And because of that, we need to go to higher levels of abstraction to actually find out how to view the world. So the first level is the object, the second level is experience. Now, this is where we find myth. This is where we find story. This is where we find song. This is where we find most of those cultural themes and nuances. When we watch a movie and there is a moral of the story, that movie, that story, that tale is falls in the experience. So an, an easier way to understand how to view what's happening in the objective realm is to and is through story and narrative and morals and proverbs and parables that help us see kind of those story arcs by which we can understand good and evil, right and wrong, the ways we should and shouldn't act, what is justice, what is mercy, what is righteousness, what is wickedness, and what is corruption. That happens through story that that meta narrative that we can begin to understand. But even in those meta narratives, that is the second level, but there's a higher level. That last and third level of abstraction is concept. In the concept realm, that's where we find values. That's where we find morality. That's where we uh, find axioms and principles by which we live life. We have these really abstract ideas like justice, like mercy. And so, yes, I grossly oversimplified what's happening in the real world because it's not as simple as just two people working at a car dealership. I oversimplified it because I was trying to use a simple example so that we can find out that third highest level of abstraction and begin to focus on what justice is, what judgment is, what truth is, what mercy is. When we understand correctly how to view these values and ideas and these concepts that creates a framework that we can then bring down into the objective realm to actually see what's going on with clear eyes without getting convoluted within with, with all the complications. Because when we can see correctly, we can then really figure out where the lines fall, where is the dividing line between justice and mercy, righteousness and in It comes from that highest level. So that's why I like to always bring it back to frameworks and principles and values up to that third level of abstraction in the concepts, because that builds a worldview or a framework that we can project down into the objective realm to be able to discern whether a gun or a knife is good or bad, whether pornography and prostitution is good or bad because we've built up a value system at the highest level rather than trying to discern between different shades of gray. Three levels of abstraction. Next, the next question. He goes into asking about unjust systemic systems and structures that hold entire people groups back. We're actually gonna and specifically by the government institutions um, setting them up in place or enabling them. We're going to be talking about kind of that chunk a little bit more in the following episode. But I want to talk about the gender pay gap, which might seem connected to a public or government um, systems that have been set in place. But really, it's different. And here with the gender pay gap, I want to talk about uni level analysis or univariable analysis and multivariable analysis. So what's the difference between a univariable analysis and a multivariable analysis? In a univariable analysis, we'd say, hey, there's a gender pay gap. When we stack up all the men and all the women and we see how much income they make, we see that men make more than women. And then we, we make the conclusion. We say, oh, It's a system of oppression. The tyrannical patriarchy is oppressing these women. I knew it. See, it's right there. Look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. The statistics don't lie. Another example of uni-level analysis is saying, in 2016, there was 466 white people killed by the police, but there was 233 black people killed by the police. That's almost 33% of people killed by police who are black, but they only constitute 13% of the population. See, it's systemic racism. They are targeting the black community. This is horrible. It's a corrupt system, right? That's what happens when we're looking at a uni level of analysis. And we're gonna get into um, the the blacks being killed by police in America in a moment. But first I wanna hit the question and it's a very important question that helps us, one, see how to think beyond the immediate stats and status quo of what people put out there and say, because we have to remember that correlation does not mean causation. Correlation, just because two numbers are correlated, it does not mean that that is a cause. Being a man and being a woman does, is not the cause. Someone's gender is not the cause of how much money they make or do not make. If you have that one level of analysis, then sure, you're going to come to that conclusion. But we need to have multi-variable analysis. So the first question is, are men and women different or are they the same? Well, if you look at the big five five personality traits, which is neuroticism, uh, agreeableness, conscientiousness, extroversion and openness or intellect. When you look at the big five, you begin to see that men and women are alike in a lot of ways, but they are very, very different in some extremely distinct ways that have a great impact on the choices and values that men have versus the choices and values that women have. So where are men and women the same? Well, they are pretty much the same when it comes to conscientiousness, which is conscientiousness describes traits related to self-discipline and organization. Men and women, some slight differences. Women are somewhat higher, but they're pretty much the same. There's not a statistical variable that would say, wow, look how different men and women are here. Extroversion reflects associability, assertiveness, and positive emotion. Again, There's some slight differences, but we're very similar in the the area of extroversion. Some differences, but very similar. Openness and intellect. Guess what? Men and women are very similar when it comes to openness and intellect. There is a slight difference. Women have been found to have higher scores than men on facets of aesthetics and feelings, meaning they're, they're more drawn to the emotional side, they're more drawn to the aesthetic side, to the people relationship side when it comes to openness and intellect, whereas men tend to score higher on the idea facet. So that is a a slight difference, nuanced difference that's gonna come in a little bit later. But where are men and women really different? Well, neuroticism. Neuroticism describes the tendency to experience negative emotions and related processes in response to perceived threats and punishments. These include anxiety, depression, anger, self-consciousness, and emotional liability. So women have been found to score higher than men in neuroticism, meaning that they have bigger ups and downs. They're more likely to, to suffer from anxiety and depression. But within that, men tend to score higher in the anger realm. So now that's one Big difference. Men and women are very different when it comes to our level of neuroticism. The second one, which is very important, is agreeableness. Agreeableness comprises of traits relating to altruism, such as empathy and kindness. Agreeableness involves the tendency towards cooperation, maintenance of social harmony, and consideration and concern for others. Can you guess who scores higher in agreeableness? Men do you think men are, are are likely to have tendencies of cooperation and social harmony? No. Women. Women are much more much more and consistently score higher than men on agreeableness. And they're much more tender-hearted and tender-minded. So you could think, "Well, wow, that that is great." And that is great. I love that. Like women are awesome, they're amazing. My wife is definitely, definitely more tenderhearted. She wants to see that social harmony, that fabric of everything pulled together. But this is not an asset and a trait in the workplace, in competition, in jockeying, in, in, in working hard to get that next position and then fighting and going to your boss and asking for a raise every month. Hey, give me a raise, give me a raise, give me a raise. Men, we don't, we don't have this, you know, want to have social harmony. We're like, no, I want to press forward. We're going to go to war. Women are like, oh, let's keep the peace. Because women are like that, they are not going to be as assertive in asking and demanding and pursuing the things that they want by and large. Now, That's something that women can learn. They can say, hey, I realize I need to become more assertive if I want to reach my dreams, if I want to get what is due to me, if I want to get that promotion that I'm fighting against Rick for, I need to go to my boss and I need to be aggressive to get the place that I feel like I deserve. Otherwise, Rick He's going to plow forward like a bulldozer and he's going to compete and he's going to do and ask the boss for that raise in that position, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So agreeableness is a big difference, a big trait that affects how much money a person makes. Okay, another huge, huge difference, the entire standard of deviation difference, which it's just massive, is on the level of our interests, the interest difference between men and women. And I touched on this a little bit of our differences in openness and intellect. Now, it's not that men are smarter or women are smarter. It's that we have interests in different things. Women are by entire standard deviation difference, and I'll explain what that means, are more interested in people, Whereas men are much more interested in things or ideas or gadgets where women are interested in people and art and literature. So what does an entire standard of deviation of interest mean? Well, it means that if you are in the 50th percentile, you are like the average woman in interests in people. You are interested in people just as much as the next person. It's the average. You, in order to have that same level of interest in people as a man, you would be in the 85th percentile or higher interest in people as a man and vice versa. If you are a a man that's in the 50th percentile interest in things and gadgets, and you map that level of interest in things onto the group of women, The person that would have the same level of interest in things as a woman would be in the 85th percentile in the women category. This produces a huge difference in the fields that men and women choose to go into. And there are breakdowns and studies where they list all, and the link is in the show notes, where they list all the differences and breakdowns of how many men versus women are in certain fields. And we see that in childhood education. It's pretty much 95% of all young childhood nursery daycare educators are women. It's very hard for a man to get a job in that sector. In, In the social studies, in psychology, most of the people who fill those fields are women. Whereas most of the people who are 95% 95% of bricklayers are men. Most of engineers, most of people in the STEM fields are men. Now, when you look at the difference in the STEM fields of men versus women, people tend to say, look, it's systematic racism. It's, it's sexism. They're, they're discriminating against women and keeping them out of the STEM fields. When really, women are not as interested, according to science, in engineering than men. But when we want to create this equality of outcome, all of a sudden, we have to literally force men out of STEM fields, which they are interested in, and force women into that. And we'd have to go to the the daycare system, and we'd have to force women out of those professions that they want to be in. And we'd have to force men into it to get a 50-50% equality of outcome and those people aren't actually going to have the value and the interest in those fields. So we have to realize also that men go into jobs that are much higher risk, a much higher risk of death. And because of that, there is a higher pay grade for those jobs. So we have to realize that not 50% of everyone's going into the same field. So here's this article by Dr. Will Farrell who at one point was in the organization of women in NYC in the 1970s he led protests against the male female pay gap and he started to ask some questions about the male female pay gap and the first question he asked was if businesses were able to get away with paying women less than men for the same job Wouldn't it make sense for a capitalistic business that wants to pad their bottom line to fire all the men and hire all the women because they could make more money? And if they didn't, wouldn't their competitor do it and put them out of business? So then he asked the next question. Well, maybe male bosses undervalue women. But then he discovered that women... Without bosses who are their own bosses, have their own business only earn 49% as much as male business owners. So it's not even that business owners aren't hiring women, it's that women who are their own business owners make 49% as much as male, their comparative male business owners. Then the Rochester Institute of Technology surveyed business owners with MBAs and they discovered this that money was the primary motivator for only 29% of women versus money being the primary motivator for 76% of men. Women prioritized autonomy and flexibility, that is 25 to 35 hours a week and proximity to home and fulfillment and safety. Women were prioritizing and had values on different Things than men. Men put their value in their priorities on making more money. So, here, there is a value difference. We value different things as different genders, and that's a great thing. These contrasting goals were reflected in contrasting behaviors. Male business owners worked 29% more than female business owners and had been in business 51% longer, had more employees. And commuted 47% further to their jobs and to their workplace. Now, it doesn't take a lot of thought to realize that if you're working more hours, you're going to make more money. If you have more employees and you're working for a more amount of years in your field, you're going to make more money. Well, another shocking thing is that people who work 33% more hours actually earn double the pay. People who work 33% more hours get double the pay. So if you're working 44 hours a week, you're going to get twice the pay as someone else working 34 hours a week. Now, it's not for the same job, but for example, at a job like a national sales representative, that would not even be available to someone who could work at 34 hours a week. So people who want to work less are choosing to not to go into fields where those fields demand full-time plus work. And by working that 33% more, you're actually getting 100% more in pay. That's a huge difference. Now, And remember, that difference comes from an individual's value, that an individual values the flexibility of time, values being close to home. No one's forcing that upon anyone. After, he he writes this in the article, the link is in the show notes, after a decade of research, I discovered that 25 differences in men and women's work-life choices, all of them leading to men earning more money and all leading to women, look at this, having better lives, having lives more balanced between work and home since real power is about having a better life. Well, once again, women have actually outsmarted men Women are like, wait a minute, I don't want to work my whole life and just make a bunch of money. I want to have a balanced life. Now, so high pay, as it turns out, is a trade-off. Life is all about trade-offs. So what are the trade-offs? As I mentioned before, I mentioned some of these trade-offs, but the men's trade-offs include working more hours, women tend to work more at home. Men are outside working outside of the home. Men take more dangerous, dirtier, and outdoor jobs like collecting garbage, construction, trucking. Men often are more willing to relocate and travel, training for more technical jobs with less people contact, like engineering. Remember, women are more interested in people. They want to be around people. Or men tend to have less people contact because they're more interested in things. Men are more likely to take late night shifts, working for more hours, and being absent from work less frequently. Some big differences. Men are making some real sacrifices in their work-life balance in order to bring in the dollar amount that they want. It's not a system that's prejudice or that's oppressing women. It's individuals, men and women alike, making different choices. So We just mentioned 10 of the 25 variables, but the most important variables are one's specialty, one's subspecialty, and one's productivity. So then is the pay gap just about men and women's choices? It's just that, well, because women choose differently, they make less than men. Studies show that's not the case either. It's not just about men and women are making different choices, but it's about parenting choices. This is why women who have never been married and are without children earn 117% of their male counterparts, meaning you are going to make more money than your counterpart in your same field as a woman, 117% more than a man. So it looks to me like women actually make more money than men when you break it down to apples and apples, when you're comparing the same thing, when you're looking at women who are not married who don't have children against men in those same fields, the same jobs. So the comparison controls for education. It controls for hours worked and controls for age. So when people are making the same choices, women are actually getting better results Go figure. Why? The decision of never married women without children are more like men's. They work longer hours and they don't leave their careers. And never married men are more like women. They have careers in arts rather than in engineering. The results, women out earn the men. Remember, when we started at a uni variable analysis, we're like, oh my goodness, there it is. I knew it. Sexism abounds in the world today, but when we actually dig down into reality, we see that women make more than men. The crucial variable in the pay gap is the family decision, and most important family variable is the division of labor once the children are born. Children lead to dad's intensifying his work commitments and mom intensifying her family commitments. And that's a choice that the male and female make. They say, hey, mom wants to be with the kids. Dad is actually going to intensify his work commitment, which what makes his income go up. Why? Because he wants to provide for his family. He wants to provide for his family. The pay gap then is not the problem. It is a reflection largely of family decisions that we may or may not wish to change. So now we can. The law can still attend to discrimination. If there are laws that are discrimination, discriminating against women, we should deal with those those instances. But we can't start with the assumption that a pay gap means that there is discrimination taking place. So, next question he asks: Does the change in division of labor once children al- arrives imply that mothers are sacrificing their careers? Right, That's the argument. Well, see, it's women. They have, to, they have to sacrifice their careers to be with their kids, where the men, they get to go on and actually even work harder. Not quite. Polls of people in their 20s find that both genders would prefer sacrificing pay for more family time. In fact, men in their 20s are more willing to sacrifice pay for family than women. of men and 63% of women. Next, the next generation might actually be having a discussion not of who sacrifices their careers, but who is going to be sacrificing being the primary parent. Because men more and more actually want to be around their families. They don't want to be at the job all the time. They want to be one of the primary parents. So he poses the question here, Dr. Will Farrell poses the question. So is the real discrimination against dads not having the option to raise their children? Mm. Next question. Don't women earn less than men at the same job? Right. That's the next. Well, okay. Well, when, when women are at the same job, they're actually earning less than men. Yes and no. He says, for example, with doctors at the Bureau of Labor and Statistics in America, they lump physicians and surgeons together in the same category. The male doctor is more likely to be a surgeon and work in a private practice for hours that are longer and less predictable for more years. When these various variables are accounted for, the pay is precisely the same. What appears to be the same job, quote unquote, doctor, is not the same job. Well, are these women's choices? When Dr. Farrell taught at the School of Medicine and the University of California in San Diego, he saw that female students were eyeing the specialties with fewer and more predictable hours, like dermatology or psychiatry. Conversely, they avoided specialties with lots of contact with blood. And death, such as surgery. So again, we see that we value different things, and that causes us to go into different fields. That, by the nature of the market, pays different rates. Okay. Well, what about female executives? Right there. There's the next line of our female executives. They make less than male executives. Look, it's discrimination. Well, again, let's look at a multi-variable analysis here. When we compare men and women who are corporate vice presidents, it camouflages the fact that men more frequently assume financial and sales and other bottom line responsibilities rather than human resources or PR. They are vice presidents of national and international versus local and regional firms with more personnel, more revenue and they are likely executives or senior vice presidents. They have more experience, relocated more, traveled overseas more, and are considerably older when they become executives. Comparing men and women with the same jobs is still often comparing apples to oranges. However, when all 25 choices are the same, the great news for women is that they make more money than men. When we compare and, and, and take into account all the 25 choices, when they're all the same, women actually make more money. Nevertheless, is there still discrimination against women? Sure. If you have like an old boys network, you know, the country clubs, they're like, no women allowed. But let's remember, it actually goes both ways. In some fields, men are virtually excluded from getting hired as a male dental hygienist a nursery school teacher, cocktail waiter, or even selling men's clothes at Walmart. You can't find a job there. So it goes both ways. And a lot of it has to do with the jobs and the values that people want to have, the the life that they want to have, their work-life balance. So for instance, female engineers make 143% more than their male counterparts. 143%. Female statisticians earn 135% more than their male counterparts. This is an important distinction. Once, once we break past the initial statistic and we say, okay, well, correlation doesn't always mean causation, and we start to look at, at the values and the differences between men and women, we begin to see, oh, maybe the system in America isn't so corrupt. It's not systemically sexist. It's not oppressing women. If anything, there's arguments to say that actually it's men that are giving women more privileges, not less. They're giving women more options. There is this misconception that men and women have been fighting and struggling against each other for thousands and thousands of years. That's this oppressive system of men fighting against women and and oppressing them and using them. But maybe we need to reframe it and realize that the human race has been struggling against the forces of nature for thousands and thousands of generations to press forward to better our children's lives, to forward the human rights, to make a world and a life that is more secure for our children's futures. And maybe, just maybe, we are working together for thousands of years to see our children have opportunities that we've never had. And maybe these two individuals are doing everything to compromise on both ends, to provide, the sea their children be able to succeed in the future rather than one group is oppressing the other. One group is using the other. The same thing goes when we looked, as I talked about with, with uh, systemic racism in police force, right? You can look at a uni-level variable and say that, well, in 2016, 466 whites were killed by police. And 233 blacks were killed by police. That's 33% of police shootings were against black people when they only comprise of 13.4% of the U.S. population. Aha, systemic racism. But the moment that we just add one more variable of analysis and we see that whites commit 59% of violent crimes defined as murder, manslaughter, rape, robbery, aggressive assault, and blacks commit 37.5% of violent crimes, mostly black men who comprise of 6% of the population, all of a sudden we look at people and situations and we say, wait, if 37% of the time it is a, a black person that's committing these crimes that it would make sense that 37% of the time when there's a violent altercation between police and a, a, a criminal, that they're going to get shot. If someone's pulling a gun on a cop, they're going to get shot. And so we actually see that blacks are getting killed less by percentage of violent crimes by police than whites are. They're committing but are only getting killed 33% of the time, where whites are committing 59% of the crimes and getting killed 66% of the time. So all of a sudden, the moment that we add one level of of analysis to it, we see that maybe there is more going on to the story than we thought. So in closing of this episode, now I feel, and I know that it's not... uh, a hundred percent, but I feel like because of grievance studies, because of where we are in America, that there are large groups of people who are suffering, who are feeling pain, who are discontent in their life, and we are beginning to make up problems. It must be a system. It must be the system, and so we're looking for things to blame. But ladies and gentlemen, across the world today, there are actually codified laws that force different ethnic groups to get paid different amounts of money based on their ethnic groups. There's actually codified law that says women make X amount and men can make X amount. There's the, there are actually codified laws where there's actually laws set in place to pay and give different privileges to different groups of society. I don't want to call it systemic because oftentimes today, especially that word is, is referring to social determinism and saying that you do not have free will and you are as you are and think as you think because of the color of your skin, the home that you grew up in and the language that you speak and built into the language that you speak are these oppressive overtones. And that Colors and shapes the way that you think, and you can't help it. You don't have any free will. And because you are white, you are racist. Or because you are a male, you are oppressing females. And so I don't want to use the word systemic because it actually has a much larger and broader implication with it. But I do want to say that there are laws and rules and legislation across the world today that explicitly discriminate. So it's it's I find it somehow uh, confusing to me when in America, when we have laws where we say you cannot discriminate and people are actually enforcing those laws, it's still coming up time and time again when the math and the data don't back it up. We have to be able to see these things clearly. We have to be able to understand, okay, is this a, a system? Do we need to take from one group do we need to take from men and give to women because men make more than women on the surface level and how would a how can we legislate that do we just take from all men and give to all women well women live longer than men is that systematic racism is that systematic sexism that women live longer than men should we take a couple years off of women and try to give it to a man somehow By understanding what true justice is, by we have to look at individuals' action, that giving each person what they are due, that can break us free. Having that third level of abstraction where we understand the concepts, the values, the principles of morality to help us project that down on the world around us so that we can actually begin to see the world rightly. So we can actually see the world rightly. So stay tuned for the next episode. We're gonna be hitting on Jim Crow laws in America, what they were, and essentially neo-integrationism or neo-desegregation. We're gonna be talking about the healthcare system and we're gonna talk about social interventionism. Social interventionism. It's gonna be a great episode. Stay tuned for the next episode of the show. Also, if you have a question about this episode or any other episode, a question, I would love to hear from you. You can WhatsApp me at +12029220220 and I will answer your question right there in WhatsApp and most likely right here on the show. Until next time, remember you are a change maker who goes out and pursues truth who works to see the world through a clear lens to to see the world rightly. So go out this week and own the future.